0: Welcome to the Fat AZ Muskie Podcast. I'm Andy. Joining the phone, I have Vance. Hi, Vance. Hello. Hi. We have Todd. Hi, Todd.
1: Hello. She's been the lake boys. Always remember that.
0: That's right. <laughs> um, we're gonna see. We we had a guest lined up. We're having a little hard time getting a hold of him. Um. So we're gonna just see how far this goes um, before we get a call back. But uh, so in the meantime, let's hit up these plugs, shall we? Uh, this podcast is brought to you by Fat A Z Musky Products. Fat dot com is our website. You can find us on Instagram and on Facebook. Um, bait wise, pretty much the same old thing. I got just a few, um, few hard baits left. Some some soft plastic. I haven't really updated the website because. Uh, I'm at that tipping point of is is it worth me putting up a couple of those? So if you're really looking for them, um, you can hit me up and just ask what I got. But you could also go to Team Rhino Outdoors, uh, check out their selection of standard and exclusive colors and musky tackle online. Uh, see what they got. See what they got left there. Um, brick and mortar stores. I think Hogan still has some. O'Donnell's probably still has some. If you're in our area uh but bait wise that's that rod holders uh I had a a little inventory crisis but i I think that we're uh we're we're cooking with gas again i i didn't actually run out, but I came really close like you might ask how close like I had like one down east left oh wow. and uh I got one box in yesterday, and um I got another one coming so i'll be cooking with gas again as i've already said several times so what's that
1: good to hear back in stock
0: back in stock i gotta update the site there with uh i had to put a little note on there so uh things things are looking good there um so any questions about a boat setup please feel uh, free to reach out and uh, i'll help the best i can and with that i'm gonna hand it to muddy creek
1: Lake Creek Fishing Guides, mcfishingguys.com get a hold of us, we're booking up for next year already, i get a few days, I'm, all, I'm getting a few cancellations here in there COVID people and whatnot, so if you have any days you want to fish, yet this season, get a hold of us, if not, thanks for booking up for next year already, early season, starting in Pennsylvania April and May, and then we'll be at Chautauqua Lake the rest of the summer, probably going to do a little bit of late season fishing here in Pennsylvania myself. And uh, plan on doing that next year. So, you know, when you're coming, get a hold of us sooner rather than later. we get you out there and get you on some fish.
2: Like, can come out with us. You'll be fishing out of ranger boats. Shout out to ranger boats. Uh, get all your ranger needs at Big Sports Center in Kent, Ohio. Um, great service. We're rocking two new boats. No problem so far. Nothing major. Uh, my kicker started to act up. A little bit, but that's normal for this time of year for me. Um, check out Dicks, St. Croix Rods, Best Rods on Earth. And I think that's it for me.
0: That's it for you. But you guys are also rocking something else, another show sponsor. That is Aqua Traction. So, how are you guys liking it so far? I'm, this is directed to Todd.
2: Yeah, the
1: Aqua Traction, everything's... Uh... Holding up real nice. A few few months on it now. We'll see how uh, how she goes, but it's feeling good, looking good. Everybody likes that. uh that, that new floor. Everybody likes that logo on the floor. It's, it's kind of cool. Uh, and I can't get it stained so far.
0: No so, stain yet, huh?
1: Staining. Yeah, <laughs> it'll clean up.
0: Well, the reason it'll clean up is because. It's 100% cross-linked, closed-cell polyethylene foam. Makes it stain-resistant because the closed-cell, it can't, like, bleed itself in. It can only kind of sit on the surface, so it washes off really nice. It's also non-slip, easy-to-clean, sound dampening, and it provides a style and comfort. They've got a fast turnaround and the best warranty in the industry. Um, There's no shrinking, no peeling. I really like mine. In fact, I've got a... uh, I've got a little, uh, fishing story. I, I took mine out, Kara and I, my wife, we went fishing and, um, needless to say, aqua traction was there. I should have taken some sunset photos cause that's about what it was. It was a, <laughs> uh, it was a complete debacle from the beginning, but nonetheless it was there. It was providing style and comfort and I had a good time with it. So check out your local, uh, aqua traction dealer if you're in our area please reach out to amf marine uh if you're looking for an email it is nick the name nick at dot so be sure to tell them that you heard it on the az podcast so all right so with that do you guys want to hear my uh huge embarrassing failure fishing story
2: absolutely yeah
0: okay perfect all right, I paused this show real quick. we got Camden Glade on, but uh I teed everyone up and I know everyone was on the edge of their seats here about this huge embarrassing failure fishing trip so uh most most people they, if they have children that are the school age um, have started school, and uh, my wife wanted to do like our annual boat trip with the kids and stuff. well, the kids weren't very interested they're getting to that age to where they don't really want to always do stuff with us so anyways we're like all right let's just go to the local lake just meet me and you so we went and the last time i had the boat out was the week of the fourth and you know nothing really changed it is it's the perfect time so it's been six weeks the boat's been sitting there i pull it you know no big deal and get it in the water and park the truck i hop in the thing and i turn the key and i just i'm like i know something's wrong and you can't even hear the starter and I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. It quieted down a bit and I hit it and I could hear the starter just spin, but not enough to like kick and and turn the motor. I'm like, oh, great. So I go and I'm a guy for it. I, I pull the, pull the cables off the cranking battery, throw them on one of the trolling motor, hit the key and the thing's running. I'm like, okay, this is cool. So then I try to turn on the fish finder. Uh-uh, I got nothing. I'm like, all right, well, battery. I'm like, this, this is bad, bad. All right. We're going to go for a boat ride. And I had, I had four rods packed because if we were going to run the kids, you know, I I can run three rods and then the kids, they each can have three rods, but I'm only going to run four because it's easy on this awful Lake. And, um, I'm like, well, I'm running three today. And she's like, why? I'm like, because you don't have a license. So I run everything. (laughs) So (laughs) I'm down to three rods. The boat won't start. And uh, I have no electronics, so I'm going off of memory where stuff is. Mm. Yeah, when all three rods go off because your memory isn't that good. Your <laughs> <Wow. laughs> <laughs> Yeah, is yeah. Needless to say, we didn't last that long. We reeled everything in. We did a couple hot laps, and that was our annual trip. <laughs> really nice. It was great. But, yeah, that's another yeah.
2: one for the books. Bugged yeah. in.
0: Yeah, I it, I, uh, I came home. I plugged it in. The charger said everything was good, and I I threw a multimeter on it, and I hit the key, and it drops to four volts. I like toasted it, some cells.
2: Toasted some battery, yeah.
0: And uh, that battery, you guys could probably track back to when I bought it. I talked about it on the podcast. I don't think those batteries are two years old. And all that stress I put on it, you know, all oh. seven trips. Oh,
1: yeah. that's yeah, you gotta run them. A- it thinks it's running all year. You always have it plugged in.
0: Oh yeah, that, my batteries are topped off until it loses yeah. three of its cells. Yeah. But, anyways, Camden, you okay. there? Yep, I'm here. Okay, very good. I had to tell that story. I know everyone wanted to hear it. Um,
3: I gotta ask a question before you get too far. Did you get all three of your baits after you ran into whatever you hit?
0: Yes, I did. I, I there you go. The, the two of them, two of them came up pretty easily but the one didn't. So then it turned into a reverse. Okay. We're going to reverse. And like, this was the one rod that just kept peeling line. And I'm like, this thing is buried. Like some of them would go rrr, rrr, and, you know, I'm like, okay, it's dragging something. And you know, it was mud and weeds and what have you. But the one, I'm like, this thing's just screaming. And then it turned into, Hey, you drive the boat. I'm going to reel it in. Cause you're not supposed to touch a rod. And, um, that that was interesting. We went from reversing to going in forward to follow the line. <laughs> Anyone who's ever driven a boat and then had someone else drive the boat knows what that's like when the other person that drives the boat just isn't used to <laughs> driving boats. That's I'm going to say it politely. <laughs> yeah. But yes, all the baits came back and uh we didn't last I, I don't think we fished for 20 minutes. So anyways, this show's about you, not me. So, uh, tell us who you are.
3: Yeah, I'm Camden Glade. I'm a fisheries research specialist at Bemidji State University in northern Minnesota. Uh, did my master's degree here over the last three years, uh, and still working on the same project where we are making muskies puke to look at what they eat. Um, kind of got into fishing at an early age and I've always loved fishing, um, Tried my hand at muskies a few times, mostly unsuccessfully, but I have tangled with a few of them, but uh, they've always intrigued me. They're just a really interesting fish and pretty misunderstood by a lot of people, so it's been a lot of fun to work on this project, and I'm excited to answer any questions you guys have about it tonight.
0: Perfect. We're going to jump into that here soon, but we don't get a lot of fisheries like master's degree kind of people on here so how does how does your history take you down that path
3: yeah so I guess my family grew up or growing up my family took vacations up to northern Minnesota every summer for week-long trips at a resort Um, I grew up in northwest Iowa where there's a little bit of water but not a ton and it It's hit pretty heavy with recreational traffic for most of the summer, so we didn't venture that direction too much. Uh, But we came up here every summer and really fell in love with fishing and some more predator fishing as opposed to, you know, bullheads and sunfish off my grandpa's dock growing up. Um, And then got through high school, didn't really know what I wanted to do. I was pretty good at school. I kind of liked science, so, you know, any... 18 year old kid that is in that situation will tell you, well, I want to be a doctor because then I can make lots of money and buy lots of fun toys and have lots of time to do the fun things that I enjoy when I'm not working. And that lasted about a year and a half. And I was miserable with all the classes that I was taking at the time. So what you were like in a
0: pre-med kind of thing.
3: Yeah. I mean, it was pretty general at that point, nothing too crazy, but, uh, the semester that did me in i was taking genetics organic chemistry and physics all in the same semester and all with labs
0: like so university physics or or like just physics Yeah, like universe, calculus well, calculus well, based or physics, algebra based
3: algebra based okay so not as bad as it could have been it, it, but right <laughs> i've been there <laughs> bad and en- bad enough so. yeah so, yeah, that lasted about a month and a half that semester, and I figured out I needed to do something different. And, you know, just kind of by happenstance, I happened to be scrolling on the In Fisherman website uh, a night when I should have been doing homework and came across an article. I think they were somewhere in kind of the lower Midwest, the reservoir, maybe down in Kansas or something like that. But they were doing a tracking study on catfish where they'd put tags in them and they had receivers out throughout the lake and they'd look to see where they moved and it just kind of clicked then and there like there's people that have a sciency brain enjoy doing this kind of stuff and they're out on the lakes on the water playing with fish all the time and getting paid to do it and so it kind of clicked that that's what I wanted to do and since then I've kind of been working my way towards that did a couple summer internships with Iowa DNR through undergrad, and then got a job out in Nevada at a trout hatchery after that, for about a year, um, and then this position or the position that I was in for my master's degree kind of opened up. I through a friend of a friend happened to send the right email to the right person at the right time, and everything just kind of fell into place for me. So I've been here in Bemidji for a little over three and a half years now, and working pretty heavily with muskies and then also working with northern pike, walleye, and largemouth bass for this project as well. I
0: I would have to venture a guess that there's not a lot of positions that you occupy open like like vacancies job positions.
3: No, it's it's a pretty limited field and it's been even more limited for the last two and a half years mostly because a lot of these positions are either state or federal positions. And there's been other things in the world that have been taking up a lot of time and money for those agencies. So there's been been hiring pauses in a lot of states, but things are starting to look better now. And there's a little bit of a backlog of positions that are waiting to be filled at this point. So it's, it's looking pretty good here going forward. Great.
0: Okay. All right. So, you got, you got this position like day one. What does this look like? They, they say, Hey, we got this, this project here. We want to see X, Y, Z. What happens? Like how how does, how does all that start?
3: Yeah. So it's, it kind of started through a cold email. Um, I was at that trout hatchery and not really loving the position I was in. Um, the hatchery stuff can get pretty repetitive. So if, that's not something you're super into it can get old in a hurry so i i was kind of looking to do something more management based where you're out on the lakes doing test surveys with nets and electrofishing and doing that kind of thing so i was trying to contact professors at different schools to see if they'd take me on for a master's degree um because these positions are so limited anymore, you kind of need a master's degree to get a lot of the positions. And I kind of knew that coming out of college too, but nothing was open when I was graduating. So I I took the next best thing for a little over a year. But they basically had the funding and the project all planned out already. Um, we were going to be looking at diets of musky, pike, walleye, and bass, and kind of comparing and contrasting their diets in a set of lakes. They had a pretty good set of lakes picked out already. Um, as most of these things end up going, we had to shift gears and pick some new lakes throughout the study. But they they kind of had everything figured out and lined up and they, they needed somebody to run the field work and the lab work side of things. Um, and I, then they would have me hire on interns so that we could kind of provide the labor and the data collection to uh, kind of go through and conduct this study. And then the ultimate goal of it was to provide this diet information back to the DNR, either through internal reports or published papers that would give them kind of more information on how muskies are interacting with lakes or with other fish in lakes, especially where they're stocked which is how a lot of these lakes are managed.
2: Yeah, that's interesting. And it's even interesting that uh, muskies are on the docket out there to do some testing with. Um, It's really not the case over here on uh, the eastern side. So, like, when you said pike, muskies, and and bass, it's much more trout-oriented over here. And I would say bass, too. But to even get... Muskie's in the, uh, you know, in in your in this case study is is awesome. (laughs) People are like, what are these things doing out there?
3: Yeah, uh, and a lot of that. Go ahead.
0: I was gonna say, is the is the population is that a natural population or 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 is it held up by stocking?
3: So uh, so far, we've looked at twelve. Well, we're working on our eleventh and twelfth lakes this year. Um, Of those twelve lakes. Eight of them have muskies and only two of those are naturally reproducing. All so right. I think state of Minnesota, last I checked, they manage right around a hundred water bodies for muskie populations. And I think, you know, anywhere from like 60 to 70% of those are stocked. I, I could be off, but it's somewhere in there. It's, it's not all of that them. Are no, it's not all of them. We do have, a few strongholds left, but it tends to be some of the bigger lakes, um, bigger well-known lakes, and then a couple of the smaller connected lakes around them as well.
0: Okay. All right. So you guys are going to go out and figure out what these fish eat. Like, is this to kind of like put to bed the, the myth that all the walleye were eaten by muskies?
3: Yeah, that's kind of a – that goes – You know, it was back in like 2016, 2018, somewhere in there, where that came up again in the state legislature, and there was a big push to kind of change how muskies are managed and limit stocking, and that that definitely played into this. It kind of indicated to the DNR and the biologists that, you know, we have a pretty good idea that they're able to coexist fine. They're not eating all these walleyes. We have healthy walleye populations in the lakes where the muskies are stocked. But we also don't really have any hard evidence to back that up. So that was kind of kind of the idea behind this. And then the reason we were also looking at those other three species is to kind of look at, okay, so maybe they're not eating all the walleye, but if they're eating a lot of the food that the walleye need to eat, maybe that will impact the walleye populations in a different way. Um, so that's kind of where we were com- coming from with including those other species as well
0: okay
1: okay so my my big question is how do you tell us how you catch this fish that's what we we try to do is catch them you probably have a better method than we do
3: well i'd like to think so but i don't know i our success rate isn't nearly what most people would think it is um but mostly I mean, we will do a little bit of netting, especially if DNR surveys are going on on the lakes. Um, I'm assuming it's pretty similar to how uh, Pennsylvania collects their eggs in the springs where they have the big trap nets around the lakes. And then the fish just swim into them, and then they go and pull the fish out the next morning. Um, We'll do a little bit of that in the springtime. But more often than not, we're electrofishing for them. So we have this big flat-bottom boat with booms that hang off the front and it runs off of a generator, and then we're kicking electricity through these booms down into the water. And the booms are the, the anodes of the system. And then the boat hull is actually the cathode for the system and completes the circuit. So we're able to drive around and kind of stun these fish and they, if it works the way it's supposed to, they float up to the surface and then we can scoop them up with a net and put them in a live well. Um, Usually they're a little bit more stubborn than that. So we have to chase them around a little bit. Um, And then because of how strong of swimmers muskies are and how big they are, they can kind of feel the electricity before we get close enough to actually stun them effectively a lot of times. So what we'll do is we'll drive around after dark with spotlights on the front of the boat and just kind of look in the shallow water for muskies lying up in the weeds or the sand or the rocks, wherever they might be. And then we can position the boat right on top of them before we actually turn the electricity on. And then, I mean, more often than not, they kind of just hang out there while we get the boat in position. And then when we hit the electricity, they're in the current enough that it stuns them without without them having a chance to swim away from us. So. And that's usually how we're doing it yeah so at times you're stunning like all these
1: fish are floating up and you're just looking for a muskie or a bass it, or a right yeah. Yep.
3: yeah so i mean there were times the spring on one of the lakes really stands out i mean we'd be driving along the shoreline and we'd go through a, a school of perch and there would be hundreds of perch that would just float up all around the boat and then we'd get you know 10, 20 yards down the shoreline, and there'd be a couple pike with full bellies or a couple walleye or a big muskie or something. So it's really interesting to see kind of what's all in the lakes. And it was really interesting and a little frustrating when we were on some of the lakes close to town that I fish a little bit more regularly to see how many fish are in the lakes that I never am able to catch, as it seems. So, Oh, so you were surprised on the
0: good side or surprised on the bad side?
3: No, I I've been surprised on the good side on just about every lake we've been on. Um, there's, there's times that it gets tough, but especially when we're out in the spring first part of the year, when all the fish are up shallow spawning, it's, it's pretty incredible just the sheer number and the size of fish that are around in a lot of the lakes that we've been on.
2: Yeah. Your
1: job, that sounds like a very fun job. And my next thing is, uh, how can I go about getting one of those for my boat? I'd like to get one, <laughs> ish, that I can just hit send us the schematics, captain. okay?
3: Right. Yep. Yeah. There, it's there's a few companies that kind of design the whole systems, but I'd be lying if I said it's a hundred percent effective. There's a lot of times where, you know, we're we're driving around and we see one off to the side, so we try to maneuver the boat, and it it hears us clicking the motor in and out of gear or throwing it in reverse and it starts to swim away. And then if it's, if it's moving at all and pointing away from us, when we turn the electricity on, it takes about one and a half tail kicks and that thing's gone. And then you can see it push awake out towards deep water and you just kind of shake your headset head and say, okay, on to the next one. That one's gone.
0: That's so, when you uh, get the extension cord lasso out and you get ahead right. of it.
3: Yeah. <laughs> And we've had, we've had a couple of them where everything goes fine. We hit the electricity and they, they think they're Shamu. They go straight up out of the water vertical. And as soon as they're out of the water, they're out of the electricity too. So they kind of get their bearings again and they hit the water and they're gone. So we've had that happen a couple of times. And then we've also had a couple of times where fish will actually jump out of the tank that we have on the front of the boat and back into the lake. So that's even more frustrating because you went through all the work to get the fish and then before you were able to get any data off of it it jumps back in the water so
0: you know if if you put an arrow through these fish when they're that shallow with all these lights you'd get a lot more of them
3: yeah that's true they just wouldn't be there the next time we need to go out and get them
0: nothing lives forever right
3: right exactly No, we've gotten lots of crazy questions when we've been out on the lakes. A lot of people walk down on their docks and want to know what we're doing. Most people tend to think we're doing something like that, but we've gotten a few other crazy questions, too. I think one time somebody asked if we were looking for a body in the lake, which thankfully the answer was no. But, yeah, if you're a Lakeshore homeowner and you see this big boat with a generator running and big spotlights all over the place, it's a little confusing if you don't know what's going on.
0: Man, have you ever pulled up a fish that you're just, like, what is this thing doing here? Like, a- any surprises?
3: Uh, Actually, so we're working on a different grad student's project here the last couple of weeks. So we've been out doing some more work in the daytime. And the number of walleye that we've shocked out of, like, two to six feet of water in the middle of the day with bright sun, flat calm, no wind, it's pretty astounding for a fish that everybody assumes goes out to the middle of the lake in deep water all summer long.
0: Just hanging out and and like, like Snoopy rod from the bank range.
3: Uh, Some of the lakes have some pretty big flats, so they might be a little bit farther from the bank, but yeah, I mean, definitely not where you would expect to see a walleye at that time of day. If you read any of the articles or watch the TV shows, it's, I mean, they might not be eating. Oh, they might not be, but based on the number of perch we see in the same areas, that I would dare to bet that they probably weren't not eating either.
0: Some were eating. Right. Okay, but you haven't like pulled up like some kind of nessie or anything like that, or
3: no. I mean, we've we've gotten some big muskies, but nothing crazy big. No. Like state record size fish or anything. and
0: Like, honestly, and like a goldfish it, or a snakehead or anything? No,
3: nothing crazy like that either. So most of the lakes we've been on have been kind of outstate of Minnesota. We did have kind of two that were a little bit closer to a metro area, but other than that, it's all pretty much outstate Northwoods types lakes. So they, they tend to be a little bit more protected from some of those goofy aquarium fish that get dumped into them.
0: Yeah. You you didn't shock up a bull shark or anything.
3: Right. Exactly.
0: That would be like what I'd look forward to. Like every day. It's like today's the day we're getting something nuts, you know, like an alligator or something. Right. Python.
3: Yeah. No, nothing, nothing too crazy.
0: Okay. All right. So you, you drive around, you're throwing some electrons in the water. Some fish are floating up. You guys scoop them up, throw them in the tank. What's the next step?
3: Yeah, so the next step is kind of the most important step is to to look and see what they're eating. So we basically constructed this apparatus that...
0: That you sit them the down and you ask them, hey, where was your last yeah. meal?
3: Yep, we we get out our notepads and we we go through a thorough interview of their, their last week's diet.
0: You, you shine the bright um, light in their eyes?
3: Yep. Yep. That's what the spotlights are for. Okay. Uh, usually we have multiple people on the boat. So if we have to, we play good cop, bad cop.
0: That but, works but, every time.
3: Yep. Every time. <laughs> so, no, we, we've got a, a apparatus apparatus uh, runs off of a bilge pump. Um, and then it's just got basically a, a small nozzle that hooks up to like a trigger nozzle that you would use to water your garden. And we pump lake water through that trigger nozzle Uh, into the fish's stomach and then as the water pressure builds up in the stomach it forces out anything that they've eaten recently so it can be something as big as you know like a 20 plus inch sucker or something as small as a couple bones left from a perch or a minnow Um, it does a really good job of doing that some of the really big stuff uh, will sometimes just it'll be so big that the The esophagus won't actually stretch far enough to let it come back out as well as some of the smaller stuff. So in that case, we use uh, like a a hemostat or uh, sometimes we've even used like a metal kitchen tongs. And we can kind of use a little bit of extra pressure and pull out on whatever bigger item it is. Usually it's bigger suckers that get caught like that just because of how big and round they are. But yeah, it, it does a really good job of forcing out whatever they've eaten recently. And then we collect everything and
0: do you have to like put a straw into the stomach or do you just kind of like, Hey, we're just going to let the pressure force its way in.
3: Yeah. So we've got, um, coming off this garden hose nozzle, we've got smaller tubing, uh, with a copper, small copper pipe on the inside of it to keep it rigid. So we, we kind of hold the, hold the fish on a, bump board at an angle so that the head is lower than the tail to try to help let gravity help us as much as it can. And then that copper tubing or copper pipe with some uh, poly tubing around it gets inserted through through the mouth and into the stomach. And then um, especially, especially nice to be able to uh, kind of get the tubing way to the back of the stomach because then it really forces – pressure outward as opposed to the pressure building up from the front side and just pushing everything back farther
0: okay so you're not like waterboarding these fish you're actually like no it's kind of invasive
3: yeah it's it is pretty invasive um it can look a little little graphic if somebody's not used to it um i've had i've posted a few videos and pictures of some of the work that we've done on social media. And I, I, get some crazy questions asking about, well, why are you doing this? How are you doing this? What's this for? Wow. What happens to the fish afterwards? But I thought
0: everyone for, does as, this.
3: Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's,
0: it's called Friday night.
3: <laughs> as invasive as it is. And as it looks, I mean, there's some fish that we've caught up to four different times.
0: And oh, done geez. this
3: on, and so they they seem to recover really well after the fact.
0: But wh- what's going through their mind? Like, hey, I just knocked down this twelve-inch sucker. I'm good for two weeks. Oh, nope, never mind. It's gone.
3: I think the best way I've heard anyone describe it is it has to be the worst kind of alien invasion or alien abduction that anyone could ever imagine.
0: Well, I, I know I, I know a I, different opening that would be worse but well uh maybe. but <laughs> on the planet i know what you're saying but that brings me to my next one do you guys put so much into them that you can actually have it come out the other end like yeah
3: that yeah that can happen from time to time um usually by the time it comes out the other end it's i mean it's been digested to the point that there's not much we could do with that on the same token, usually if it's coming out the other end, that may, means that they ate fairly recently, so there's a pretty good chance that there's going to be something coming out the end we're interested in as well.
0: So basically they're going to be, like, clean. Like, this oh, yeah. is the best bath that they could get for the insides. A right. full yep. system Every,
3: everything's flush. Everything's cleaned out. Yep. They're juicing.
0: Yeah, that's right. They have a colonoscopy tomorrow.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, are you guys uh, getting bit every once in a while? A little tooth damage?
3: No, we haven't gotten bit yet. Um, yeah. So I should say when we're, when we're handling them like this, um, we have some electric gloves that we use that kind of act similarly to the electric fishing system. It's okay. just kind of a, a low amperage current that runs through the gloves, and then that's how we hold the fish. So it, it stuns the fish while we're holding them and working, them, working with them. And we have, you know, big jaw spreaders that we use too to keep their mouths open while we're doing this.
0: Do those I, gloves work on humans?
3: Uh, I have heard from someone that forgot to put the rubber lineman gloves on before they put the gloves on to work with fish that, yes, they you do feel it a little bit if if you touch the gloves.
0: But it's not like you're jello and boneless laying on the floor.
3: right. Yeah, okay. uh, he He described it as similar to, like, if you grabbed an electric fence. Okay. So, probably not the most pleasant, but, no, you're, but you're not going to be on the floor.
0: If you're the one wearing them and not getting shocked, but someone else is, um, I don't care. Yeah. As long as I'm not right. the guy. <laughs> but, okay, so, you get these things puking out. Do you have to, like you obviously you got to do something like, Hey, this is a 24 inch walleye. This thing puked up this, do you like just examine it and then throw it over the side of the boat or are you take it notes or.
3: Yeah. So for the most part, we're bagging everything and preserving it in ethanol and then we'll work through it in the lab. Um, if it's something really big and it's easy to identify what it is and measure it, we'll measure it in the field and just, Chuck it back in the water and we'll write it down on our data sheets in the field. But 90% of them were, are bagging them in ethanol. And then, you know, we have long cold winters this far North. So we've got lots of time to sit inside and look through microscopes and try to identify and measure everything that they, that we got over the open water period during the winter.
0: Okay. Now, like, so you, you you probably have to do something like, okay, we have, this is in the walleye thing. This is in the musky thing. And, and you just, you categorize it and then you start spreadsheeting it. Do you break down like musky sizes, different lakes? Like what, how many columns of data are there?
3: <laughs> um, that's kind of a loaded question. It kind of depends on how I'm trying to analyze it. Um, some of our data sheets have, close to a hundred columns, just because of how it has to be formatted for the stats software to work with it. Um, for the most part, we basically have, our first column is always a fish ID column. So when we're in the field, every fish that has a diet gets a unique number code for it. So it's usually the first three letters of the lake and then a, whatever number in sequence, just so we can keep track of everything. And then we're tracking you know, what species it is, the length, um, and then we're also tracking seasons. So we're doing this in spring, summer, and fall and trying to break it up a little bit throughout the seasons to see if there's any seasonal differences in diets. And then we've got a column for prey category, uh, prey size, and uh, counts for each prey category.
0: Okay. Is there before we get too far away from the actual uh, the 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 regurgitation part what's the weirdest thing that a fish has coughed up so or a surprise it, it doesn't have to be the weirdest what's right, what surprise uh,
3: the the biggest surprise is the hardest one to even describe so this was last spring we were out on a lake Doing all this work and we get to the end of the night and one of my interns is taking off their headlamp and says, oh, the the lens off the front of my headlamp fell off. Like there, there's no glass lens over top of the bowl. Okay, that's weird. That kind of sucks. Whatever. We'll go about our day. Go back to the hotel, sleep for the night. And then throughout the next night and we have a bass in the boat and it pops up this shiny translucent disc into the tray and it was the lens off of their headlamp that it must have it must have saw the sun reflecting off of it or a crayfish was swimming by it or something and it slurped it up off the bottom and we happened to catch that fish the next night and get the lens back from the headlamp.
0: Give the fish some credit. It hit the water and it was falling like a spoon.
3: Well that very easily could have been too.
0: Yeah.
3: Probably saved it. Yeah, but that, yeah.
1: Uh, that's unbelievable. That's yeah, un...
3: the, the yeah. odds of that happening yeah. are, I can't even begin to imagine how slim those odds are, but that was easily yeah. the craziest thing. Um, we've had, I mean, we've had other kind of cool stuff too. Uh, muskies will eat birds and muskrats probably more than some people will give them credit for. Um We've had bass take down little baby snapping turtles a couple different times. Um yeah, and then just the sheer size of some of the diets, especially for muskies, is pretty incredible.
0: Okay, so I'm gonna talk I'm gonna ask a walleye question. What do you okay. feel the average when when it comes to a a a fish that a walleye has eaten? What do you feel the average size of that fish is lengthwise?
3: Oh boy, that's a great question. Um, probably, it's probably in like the six inch range in the spring, which is not exactly what most people would tell you. Um, you know, everyone always says, you know, start small in the springtime and then gradually get bigger. Put as the summer a goes leech on, on there right but what we've seen we i mean we're typically out on the lakes within two weeks of ice out usually earlier if we can and in that point of the season like nothing has spawned yet there hasn't been any hatching yet so all of the food in the lake is at least a year old at that point
0: you got the so biggest even, biggest species there
3: right so even like the little perch that the walleyes are eating at that point they've had a full year to grow so they're I mean, the the ones that are only a year old are probably three inches or so. And then anything older than that is, you know, five, six inches or bigger. And then those perch are up spawning as well. So any of those perch that are trying to spawn are more vulnerable to getting eaten than they would be later in the year. Um, Average size probably goes down in the summer just because everything has hatched and there's lots of small food available. And then probably comes back up closer to, you know, four to six inches in the fall again for the walleye.
0: And it's probably just it's not due to they they don't want to eat it, it's just there's more plentiful small things. Right. Okay.
3: Yep. Yeah, there I mean there's been times when we've had walleye and pike too for that matter, that you know, they they'll get caught in a DNR test net and we'll cut the stomach open and there'll be, you know, anywhere from fifteen to fifty little age zero yellow perch that are maybe three quarters of an inch at that point. And so they're, they're basically just swimming around with their mouths open at that point.
0: (laughs) They're whale sharks. Right. That's, that's incredible. So then we can only imagine, you know, for muskies, you're probably averaging more like eight inch.
3: Yeah. That's, that's probably about right. Um, uh, they'll eat some bigger stuff too, and actually, it it usually works out that what the muskies are eating is typically about twenty to twenty five percent of the muskie's body length. So that's that's a pretty consistent. So, so a fifty incher
0: is like twelve thirteen inch. Right and and that's and that's like you said that's average, so there's that's a common thing you see cranking, so you know when when we're like, oh, our favorite baits our eight inch bait that's like for the most part that's average to below average to the upper class fish in our areas,
3: right, yeah, and it's it. Can be pretty crazy to see the size that some stuff will eat. Like we've we've had some muskies that will have eaten something close to sixty percent of their body size, which is pretty incredible when you think about it. But yeah, for the most part, everything is you know probably.
2: Um,
0: so like a forty-inch muskie trying to take down like a two-foot something or another.
2: Yeah. What was the sixty percent? What was the sixty percent? Uh, birds
3: yeah, the couple of them were uh, suckers, and then a couple of them were pike. But I'm I'm looking here on one of my spreadsheets, and the the average size of kind of the musky diets is just under ten inches, actually, for what we've been looking at so far. So maybe a little bit bigger than eight inches, but kind of right in that eight to ten inch range is is pretty typical for the muskies.
0: Hmm. So there's really I mean I got a bunch more questions here but I don't want to I don't want to be held up on on these but it, after the after you guys collect all this data it's just spreadsheet time and you, you kind of then put it in a paper form or like what what's the what's the end product that you're looking to get?
3: Yeah. So during my during my graduate degree program um the end product was a thesis. So it's not quite a doctoral dissertation, but uh, a pretty substantial paper that goes through all of the methodology. And we have a pretty substantial literature review going through and looking at other studies that have looked at the diets of these fish and what they found and then comparing what we found to those studies. Uh, During the winters, we also will go to some different different society meetings, professional society meetings. So the, the big one is American Fisheries Society. It's a big conglomeration of biologists all throughout the country that are interested in this kind of thing. And they'll have state and regional and national meetings throughout the year. So we'll go and present at those meetings as well. And then just a couple, or yeah, about a month ago, I just submitted kind of a, a spin-off of my thesis with a little bit different analysis into a, a scientific journal to try to get that published. So it's it's all trying to get it communicated either to audiences in person or through papers that can be used as evidence for fisheries management and research going forward.
0: Do, do you feel like, so what were your findings? Did it kind of coincide with other people's, you know, their their findings or was anything earth you know like earth shattering like hey we didn't really know this look check this out
3: no nothing too earth shattering um we we kind of confirmed what we thought was probably the case um muskies will eat quite a bit of perch but they'll also eat a lot of everything else that's in the lake whereas uh pike and walleye are Pretty much keying in on perch everywhere that there's any kind of substantial population, to the point that their diets are more similar than any other species pair that we looked at in all of the lakes that we looked at. So if there's if there's any competition going on between species in these lakes, it's between pike and walleye. Uh, the largemouth bass actually ate a lot more crayfish than we maybe expected, which was interesting. Um, Typically, you know, you think of smallmouth bass maybe as eating more crayfish, and then largemouth bass more so get talked about as eating bluegills or crappies or some some other fish that hangs around in the shallow waters. But frogs. We saw, yeah, frogs, and we we did see a few frogs, but nothing crazy. So it was it was interesting to see the amount of crayfish that those uh, bass were eating.
0: And any snakes? Yeah. Did you get any snakes?
3: No snakes. Thankfully, because I probably would have screamed like a little girl if we had a snake <laughs> pop out. As much as I love fish, I, the scaly snakes just have always given me the heebie-jeebies. So, okay, I, I'm thankful we haven't seen any of those yet.
0: No big honkin' salamanders or anything.
3: No, no big honkin' salamanders. Um, yeah, a couple, couple birds, a few frogs, a couple muskrats, and the musky diets.
2: Um, any uh any trash like garbage outside of a headlamp
3: no nothing like that um some plastic bass lures and then like you'll you'll get the occasional live bait hook like off of somebody's lindy rig that'll be stuck in a pike stomach or something but aside from a headlamp and then some fishing tackle i don't can't remember any Trash or garbage that we've seen in any of other diets.
0: Well, okay, so now we can get to more of the fun Q and A here. Um, I mean, is there anything else that, that you want to kind of continue with this study before we just start random questions at you? Oh,
3: no, let's let's get into the random questions. That's usually more interesting, anyways.
0: Okay, so does any. I've been talking a lot. Any of you guys have something that I, that I've been talking you guys over?
3: Okay. Well, I got a
1: big, I got a big question here. So do you think, and have you found in your studies that these fish are, uh, making a cognitive decision on what they're eating or are they eating? What goes in front of them when they're hungry?
3: It certainly doesn't, seem like they're making cognitive decisions on what they're eating just based off of how how evenly distributed their diets are across all of the available species Um, size would maybe play into that a little bit just because you know a big muskie is a lot it's a lot more beneficial for a big muskie to eat one big meal and be set for a few days to a week as opposed to having to eat small meals every 18 hours or whatever they would need to do so there may be that aspect of it but in terms of species it certainly hasn't looked like there's any active selection for any certain prey species yeah
1: i I would have been surprised if you said you thought there was because i mean i'd say this to the people all the time uh, i mean i just feel like when it's time to eat they're gonna eat absolutely those big ones might key or pick up on that bigger meal quicker than a smaller fish but uh i've always said i mean i just don't think i tell these you know the guys that are like oh they eat all the walleyes they don't eat any more walleyes smaller walleyes than smaller walleyes eat because a smaller walleye doesn't know whether that six inch fish it's eating is a walleye a muskie a bass a perch a bluegill he's going to eat he's going to eat it right
3: right yep yeah Yeah. and that's that's actually we've kind of seen something or exactly that throughout this study um so we we've looked at diets of i think close to 300 muskies now and we have seen three walleye in the diets and they all came from one lake um and then contrast that we've seen 12 walleye in pike diets and five walleye in walleye diets throughout this study so yeah, yeah, they're they're not going out of their way to eat everybody's favorite food fish. They they don't know the difference between a walleye, a perch, or a sunfish, yeah. or whatever else swims in front of them.
1: Yep, turtle.
0: No, I I got two follow up questions on this, but I'm gonna I'm gonna ask the one uh, right now. The on on the on the bigger bigger meals for the muskies when when you got these things, you know, puking out. Can you kind of put a correlation on like? Based off of how much this is digested, like, so you, you pull out, like, I don't know, a, t- a 10 inch fish, but then there's also remnants of another fish. Can you think you could be like, Hey, this seems, this fish seems to be eaten based off of how much it's broken down every five days? Or is it just, there's not enough like consistency there to make a prediction?
3: Yeah, there's too many variables there. Uh, the biggest one is water temperature. So because fish are cold-blooded, all of their metabolism and digestion is dictated based on the temperature of the water around them. And so that, I mean, the water temperature during the summer especially can remain relatively stable, but it's still fluctuating a little bit. And if those fish are moving deeper or shallower, you've got changes there as well. So it's there's too many variables to really get at it. You could probably take a guesstimate of, you know, within this five day window or whatever, but beyond that, I mean, it's, there's, yeah, there's too much going on to really pinpoint anything like that.
0: Yeah. I, I, the, like the question, I don't think I phrased it very well Is you know, like a, Oh, they're like, Oh, a typical wolf is going to eat seven pounds of meat a day. And you're like, Holy crap, that's eating like a one ton of red meat a year. And it'd be like, you're like hey, we're, we're, we're predicting these, these fish are eating a 12-inch fish, which weighs whatever, 10 ounces. Every five days, you could be like, this 30-pound fish eats 30 pounds of fish a year or something like that.
3: Yeah. Okay, yeah. So there, there's actually kind of a concurrent project going on um, that's being run by a biologist from the DNR. But they're actually looking at that exact question on kind of a subset of the lakes we've been working on. So it's called bioenergetics modeling. Um, And what you do is you plug in uh, water temperature variables, uh, growth rates of the fish, and then the diet information. And it can tell you, you know, within a certain confidence level that each individual fish is eating, you know, X weight of fish per year. And then based on the numbers that we have, you can kind of break that weight down into you know, they're eating this much perch and this much sunfish and maybe a couple walleye or a couple pike. And then uh, what he's doing is he's actually then taking uh, population estimates for all the species in the lakes. And so he's taking that individual fish and then scaling it up to the whole population within a lake to see how much the populations are eating. And that's been really cool to see some of his preliminary results. Um, obviously, the big muskies are eating more than any of the other fish, but their populations are so small that, I mean, even the bass and the walleye populations are eating more than the musky populations and the pike populations are putting all three of those to shame with how much they eat, just because of one, the the number of fish, just the sheer number of fish in the system in a lot of lakes, but then also they're they're eating a little bit more uh, consistently and, Voraciously than maybe the bass and the walleye populations are.
0: So, do do you feel that there is a, um, you know, let's just say you had a lake of X size and there's a hundred adult muskies that they're all forty-eight inch, and then you know if you're like, hey, let's take all those muskies out and see what happens, and now you have whatever, a, a higher density of fish, but they tend to be smaller. Is it? Does it seem to like? balance out on biomass like there's going to be this much food eaten pound wise from muskies a year now do you want 148 inches or do you want 1024 inches you know is, is the, do you feel like there's a kind of a correlation there that it's going to sustain this much and that's how many are going to be here
3: yeah yep and that's that's kind of what they've been seeing in a lot of lakes throughout the state too um they're has been some pretty variable recruitment off of some of the stockings that they've done. And so it kind of seems like once you get to a certain carrying capacity, especially for the muskies, like you get a certain number of individuals that are adults and they're big and you're basically kind of counting down the days until some of those adults, uh, you know, go to the big lake in the sky before <laughs> some of the smaller, some of the smaller ones can, can take a little bit. So yeah, it, it definitely seems like the, the productivity of the lake and just how much biomass it can support uh, plays into the
0: populations. So th- that's kind of like where you can get, you know, I, I'm not completely up on this, but it seemed like, I don't know, that'd be about 16, 17, 18 years ago. Uh, everyone was talking about Mille Lacs cranking out these giants. And now it's like, it still does occasionally you hear about it but no one's really talking about it being like this project world record lake anymore um you you think they're like hey there's nothing here we're going to grow ultimate size and then it just it hit up c- carrying capacity and it's like okay now we're going to spread out to an average you know uh year class type size
3: yeah and that's that's probably what has happened in a lot of lakes around the state there was you know for like a five to ten year stretch there in the late 80s early 90s there were lots of lots of lakes around the state that were getting their first initial stockings of muskies and I think both vermilion and Malax would fall into that category and so you saw really fast growth rates of these new predators in the system and the populations really took off and the stockings were working really well and everybody was catching lots of fish and they were all really big and then yeah everything kind of slowed down and it it definitely seems like these lakes will hit a carrying capacity and then it really hasn't seemed to matter how many fish get dumped in like that's kind of where the population is gonna be and that's that's just how kind of how it is so you you can still get some of those really really big fish and I mean you see that every year you'll see pictures from a couple different lakes where people get super giant fish, but the the numbers of those big fish just aren't what they were after those first, you know, two or three stockings all reached adult size at the same time, and they were running around eating anything they could get their mouths on.
0: Okay, I'm going to throw this one at you, and if you don't want to answer it, you don't have to, okay? Okay. Do you feel you're going to have so let's just take Mille Lacs, Okay. Because we just, we just discussed it. I don't know. Does Mille Lacs have like a 55 inch size limit on it or something? Uh,
3: the whole state of Minnesota has a 54 inch size. limit. Okay.
0: 54 inch size limit. Do you think you'll have a better quality fish by lowering that or removing a size limit on those fish?
3: That's a really interesting question. Um, it's, I would say it's possible, but I would counter that by saying that the vast majority of these fish are caught by people that are targeting them and the vast majority of those people would never think of keeping one even to put on their wall, let alone to put in a freezer. So I, I have a hard time thinking that getting rid of those size limits would really have much, uh, much effect on the populations Um, the only thing it might do would be pull out some of those big fish that aren't currently legal a little sooner if somebody was desperate to put one on the wall but uh, even at this point like so many guys are creating really incredible replica mounts just off of pictures that I think most of the people that are out targeting these fish would still end up putting them back after they caught them
0: Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna follow that up just just to make it really easy. Do you feel that a size limit a helps the ultimate size of the fish? B doesn't help. Uh, I had a C, but I my I can't think of it right now. Do you think it helps or doesn't help?
3: I think it helps individuals grow to a bigger size throughout their lifespan um but going back to kind of the carrying capacity and the biomass that a lake can support you may there's a trade-off there so if you're getting fish that are growing really big you're there's a pretty good chance that you're not getting the numbers that you might if there weren't quite as many big fish
0: that that is a that is a I mean, I've thought about this a long time for many, many years. But yeah, like, I I am personally not a huge fan of size limits. I mean, if they're there, I'm not going to sit here and complain. I'm not taking pen to paper to write to anybody. But I almost think that it's regulating something that we already self-regulate.
1: Absolutely, in the muskie fishing.
0: That's what I mean, yeah, musky fishing.
1: Yeah, I mean, so, you know, and wasn't there, I mean, you know, this is all just interesting stuff, interesting talk. It, I mean, a few years ago, I can remember, like, some places in Minnesota where they were, you know, the fisheries were saying, okay, we're taking this body of water off the stocking list, and people were going crazy. They're like, well, we have enough muskies in here. No one's taking them we don't want any more in this lake. Am I correct in saying that I can, well, I mean, I know I can remember those talks and people, uh, you know, getting up in arms because they were going to take some places off. Uh,
3: yeah, I think that kind of went back to kind of the controversy just about musky stocking in general. And there we're going to yeah. be certain places where, uh, Decisions on who was going to stock the lakes would have gone to the counties as opposed to the state, and they would have been able to, you know, request certain species and certain numbers for their lakes. Um, Yeah, that would have been, you know, four or five years ago now, I think. I don't think anything ever came of that.
1: Okay.
3: Um, There were a few lakes that were supposed to get, added to the muskie program right around that same time that I think got canceled just because of some of the pushback that they were getting. Yeah. But I don't think that there were any at least none that were deemed I guess successful stockings. Yeah. Um yeah. they they may have had some throughout the years where, you know, they kept dumping fish in and dumping fish in and nobody was catching on and they just weren't seeing any return on them. So they may have pulled those lakes off the stocking lists, but I, I'm not aware of any where they stopped stocking because populations were in a good spot and they didn't need to be stocked anymore unless people were going to start harvesting more of them.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I remember hearing that,
3: but didn't know whatever happened.
0: All right. I'm going to rewind because remember, it doesn't matter. I had two questions and I was going to give, go one way. I'm, I'm going back to the other question. So, as you said the the musky diet seems to be, you know, kind of represent, you know, it represents the population densities of the forage around it. You know, it might if there's catfish in the lake, you might see catfish, a perch, it doesn't seem to be as targeted as the walleye and the pike. Would this make you believe that when you're trying to select a color for your bait that it really doesn't matter?
3: Yeah, it I would say whatever color you feel the most confident in is probably the one that's going to get bit. Um, yeah, it. I mean, we see fish that eat perch that are, you know, white and green and yellow. And then we see fish that eat bluegills that are purple and orange. And then we see fish that eat bowfin that are, you know, black and Brown and have the big eye spot on their tail. So it, it really isn't going to matter. I don't think, um, you get into some super clear water situations, maybe it'll make a little bit of difference. But I think if you've got a fish that is active and hunting and really looking for a meal at that point, I don't know that it's really going to make too much difference. What you put in front of his face.
0: I like that answer. Cause that's what I've been telling people all along.
3: <laughs> oh, <you're great. laughs> and I think the other part of that too, I, I don't, think fish are necessarily feeding as much as people like to believe when they're getting caught I think a lot of the fish that are caught by anglers it's more of a reaction strike and I mean anytime you see a fish that gets caught in a figure eight or on like a boat side strike like I I can't imagine that fish thinks it's getting a meal when it's chasing whatever little flashy lure back to this 20-foot floating island in the middle of the lake that's never been there before it's just it's moving in a way it's creating whatever vibration and it's just triggering some kind of primal predatory response and the fish might not even know what's happening and all of a sudden it's lunging at it and trying to clamp its teeth down on it so i i don't really think that fish are necessarily feeding as much as some people would like to believe when they're being caught so that's that's another reason that I don't know that color makes a whole lot of difference.
1: Yeah, if he wants if that thing, wanted it. If he's coming into your figure eight, he would have had it before you even could have said,
3: "There he is." Right.
1: You're yep. Really, he was hungry. Tease him. Yeah,
2: yeah, that that's that's good stuff.
0: I like it, Vance. You have any questions?
2: Uh, on the study, have you ever lost any fish doing um, doing what you guys are doing, whether it be bass,
0: possibly Lost as in the fish died? Yes. Okay.
2: Great. Yeah, so
3: typically the smaller fish can be a little bit hit and miss. Um, and I'm talking like really small stuff, like the really small bass, pike, and walleye that we get in the fall that are age zero. So they're like four to six inches long just because it's, it can be hard to fine tune the water pressure enough.
0: <laughs> you're hitting them with 80 PSI.
3: Of them apart. Right. <laughs> you're, yeah. You're so, making
0: basically a pike sock.
3: <laughs> right. So <laughs> that has happened a couple of times. Um, for, for the species that aren't muskies, if, I mean, if they eat a big bluegill and they just ate it, so it's got those big spines that are trying to come out backwards. That usually doesn't work too well either. So usually if we, if we get to that point, um, we'll, we'll sacrifice the fish and then just cut the stomach out just so we're not turning the stomach inside out and then dumping the fish back in the water and saying, okay, good luck.
0: That, um, that's dedication there. I thought you were like, yeah, we just take the fish and throw it over the side. Like oh, we yeah, just, like, well, you well, guys win today. <laughs> right.
3: Yeah. No, we'll, we'll, we'll take the data. And especially on those other three species, like the populations are robust enough in all these lakes that if we end up taking a couple fish out of the lake, it's not gonna, not gonna do anything to the population. Um, we're, we're really careful with the muskies and we probably baby them a little bit more than we need to in some cases. I'll also say that I think the muskies are maybe a little bit tougher than some people like to say they are at times. Um, We've had some, some crazy stuff happen and, you know, it doesn't always go cleanly on the boat. Um, We have had a couple that maybe slide off the bump board and flop around on the boat for a couple seconds. And those fish will take off just as fine as some of the ones that everything went super smooth for. Um, That's not to say that there's not, delayed effects but
0: a lingering moment, headache
3: right yeah in the moment though they do fine um we have had a couple instances where muskies have died on us um i can count two off the top of my head in the three the four years now um one of them we had a malfunction with the gloves that we were using and the fish did end up on the deck of the boat and really was thrashing around a lot and that fish didn't make it and then the other one was just, I, I don't know if the fish had a heart attack or what the deal was, but we, we shocked the fish and it was in the live well. And then 10 minutes later, you look in the live well and the fish is belly up and it's not breathing at all. So those are the only two that I know of that that's happened to. Um, that's not to say, like I said, there may be some lingering effects even with the, the puking that we've seen or that. Have maybe lost a couple more fish, but I think our release rate and survival rate on the fish we release has been really good throughout the study.
0: Are you concerned when you catch these summer fish of water temperature, the surface temp?
3: Uh, I'm not so much concerned about the surface temp. Um, the mm-hmm. oxygen can be a bit of a concern, and we have seen you know fish will maybe be a little bit more sluggish in the summer than they are in the spring and the fall when we go to release them. Um, typically we will take a portable oxygen tank on the boats with an air stone and we'll we'll put those in the live well while we're running with the fish just to make sure they've got plenty of oxygen in the live well. And that definitely seems like it helps. Those, those fish are super lively when we go to release them after they've had the oxygen in the water.
0: Would you recommend? You know, that seems to have been a hot topic for a long time now. About you know water temperature and delayed mortality and all this other stuff. You know, for these guys, do do you think like, hey, if you guys want to be like, like ultra, you know the, the the best angler ever, if you're fishing for these fish in high temperatures, the cool kids go get oxygen tanks and and just pump them full of you know, basically some just man-made oxygenated water.
3: Right. Yeah. That would, I mean, that would maybe work on like some of those Lake St. Clair boats that you see where they have the revival tank in the water or mm-hmm. in the boat. Um, if you tried to do that in Minnesota, I'm not so sure you wouldn't get a ticket for having a sub fish in your boat. Um, I could be wrong on that, but
0: well, that's a good I point. Think you, I, to... Yeah.
3: I, I think the way the law or the, The laws are written. I think if that fish goes in your live well, it would be considered in your possession at that point. And so if somebody wanted to write you a ticket for it, I think they probably could. Um, yeah, I I think if you're really concerned about it in the warm water, I mean, guys have said it a million times over, but just keep the fish in the water as much as you possibly can. If it's not a big fish, don't take it out of the water for a picture if you want to measure it float your bump board in the water and measure it in the water and then just do a water release but at the same time like i think for the most part and i i've had the, the opportunity to actually listen to some of the guys that have been working on the the hot water stuff talk and it seems like as long as there's you're not holding them out of the water for an unnecessary amount of time like if you're if you're picking them up out of the net getting a quick picture and putting them right back in the water seems like the survival rates are really high still. So it, yeah, I I don't want to step on their toes talking about their projects too much, but it, it doesn't seem like it.
0: It looks promising.
3: Right. It doesn't seem like the hot water has maybe been as big of a deal in their studies as people have made it out to be previously.
0: But I need to get on my soapbox and yell at everyone. Right. So I don't want to hear that right now. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Is uh I'm I'm out of questions and we're we've done this for an hour and 15 now. I don't know you guys Vance Todd, you guys got have any to to kind of
2: Sounds good to me. I think it was great. I'm good. Yeah, I'm
1: good too. That was a very interesting. It's a neat job
0: you got one there. I got one more. How much longer are you going to be doing this?
3: <laughs> so this is the last field season for this project. Um, we'll we'll be starting back up again for our fall sampling here in a couple weeks. And then hopefully we can be done by mid to late October. Um, most years, well, one year we were told to be done by Mother Nature because I started farming on the lakes. Uh, and then other years we've gone until early to mid November, just because there wasn't dice and we hadn't gotten all the fish that we had hoped to get. So we kept going until we couldn't take it anymore. But that's, that's kind of the goal is to be done by about mid October this year. Um, and then we'll, we'll be working on lab work and then, yeah, the, the position I'm in is a temporary position right now. So I'll be here at, at the longest until June of next year. But, hopefully i'll be getting a full-time job here before too long and then it'll be different projects different jobs but still still playing with fish every day so that's that's the long-term goal anyways
0: well i hope it works out for you so with that is there anything you want to end this on
3: uh yeah I mean, if people are interested in this kind of stuff, I, I do post some updates on the project and some cool pictures and videos, both on uh, Instagram and Twitter. Uh, Instagram, I'm just Camden Glade. And then on Twitter, my handle is at Glade underscore FishSci, F-I-S-H-S-C-I. Otherwise, you can just search the hashtag FishPuke on either of those apps. And I'm pretty sure I'll be the only one that pops up on either of those. So that's, that's another good way to find me. And then if, if anybody's ever got questions on, on some of the work I'm doing, don't hesitate to shoot me a message and I'm, I'm happy to chat about some of the stuff we've been doing the last four years.
0: Very good. I, I, I really enjoyed this. Thank you for uh, taking the time.
3: Yeah. Thank you guys for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you.
0: All right, I'm going to wrap this one up here. Uh, big thanks to Fat Az Musky Products, Muddy Creek Fishing Guide, St. Croix Rods, Ranger Boats, Vix Marine, and Aquatraction. So, uh, falls just around the corner. Uh, everyone, uh, good luck fishing, and thanks for listening.